0: Maybe 30 or 20 years ago, a Saudi might have said, I'm Muslim and I'm Arab and I'm Saudi. Now they might say, I'm Saudi and I'm Arab and I'm Muslim. You know, they're trying to radically refashion their country and they need help from the best experts in the world. Do you want to have your country's people be disqualified from that because of some essentially antiquated point of view about how countries work together? In recent months, it can feel
1: like Saudi Arabia is intent on buying the world. It's bought up much of golf, sports teams, many of the globe's best soccer players to its own domestic league, and it owns huge chunks of many of the biggest companies on the planet. But Saudi Arabia is not just on a shopping spree. The once insular, oil-rich kingdom is transforming into a major diplomatic and military player, a pivotal actor in the energy transition, and looks set to
2: host high-end cultural events like the FIFA World Cup. You know, they know that buying a football club immediately brings you a billboard into a global game that allows you to completely reposition yourself and rebrand yourself. It feels like we're entering the
1: era of the Saudi Project. But what exactly is the kingdom trying to achieve and will it succeed? Coming soon from Intelligence Squared, the Saudi Project is a new podcast series seeking to answer some of these questions and more. Britain does have choices.
3: It's not either-or situation. We either indulge Mohammed bin Salman or boycott Mohammed bin Salman. There is a third choice.
1: Search The Saudi Project wherever you get your podcasts.
0: What are you doing right now? Perhaps you're in the supermarket. Maybe you're on a run or on the commute. But wherever you are in the world, and whatever you're doing...
4: This Intelligent Squared podcast is supported by Audible.com, a leading provider of audiobooks with more than 150,000 downloadable titles across all types of literature, including fiction, non-fiction and periodicals. The Intelligent Squared audience now has the chance to try Audible's service by downloading an audiobook for free. One title you may like to consider is Shark by Will Self. Set a year before the action of his Booker shortlisted novel, Umbrella, it's an exploration of the complex relationship between human psychopathology and human technological progress. To download a free audiobook of your choice, go to audiblepodcast.com forward slash debate. That's audiblepodcast.com forward slash debate. Thank you for downloading this Intelligence Squared podcast. For more information on our debates, talks and discussions, Visit intelligencesquared.com and sign up to the newsletter. Hello,
5: I'm Zainab Badawi. Welcome to this Intelligence Square debate coming to you from Cadogan Hall in central London. It's exactly 10 years ago that 9-11 happened. Nearly 3,000 people were killed in those attacks in America and they changed the course of world history forever. The motion in our debate, a decade on... Was the war on terror the right response to 9-11? And in our panel, we have some of the key figures from that time. Pervez Musharraf was president of Pakistan. He is arguing for the motion, along with Colleen Graffy, who served in the Bush administration. Arguing against the motion, Sir Jeremy Greenstock, who was the senior British diplomat at the time... And the influential French politician Dr. Bernard Kouchner. That's our panel. Welcome to you all. As you, our audience, were coming in, you were asked to vote to see where you stand on the motion right now. Then each of our panel members will make their opening statements to you. Then you will have a chance to put questions or even make comments, indeed, to our panel members. And we will ask you to vote again to see if you've perhaps changed your mind and where the vote there stands. So I hope that's all clear. We can start our debate arguing for the motion the war on terror was the right response to 9-11. Pervez Musharraf, who was president of Pakistan from 1999 until 2008, and, of course, he was a crucial figure... In the war on terror, particularly when it came to the invasion of neighboring Afghanistan. General Musharraf.
6: In September 2001, ladies and gentlemen, the world leaders, and I happen to be one of them, had to decide whether fighting the war on terror would make the world a safer place to live in. I then believed and still do believe that we had and continue to have even now a responsibility to act decisively to root out terrorism. We need to be clear that the call for action was certainly not based on the single incident of 9-11. 9-11 in fact was the catalyst, the culmination of a series of increasingly bloody terrorist outrages which finally tipped the scales against the prevalent law enforcement approach. It roused universal condemnation and forced the strong action against terror. Ladies and gentlemen, terror has to be defeated. There is no running away from it. The destructive power of the explosive and the viciousness of the suicide bombers who bring misery to people at large, to innocent people at large, has to be combated. Holistically, the war on terror has three fronts the military, the political, and the socioeconomic. We have a tendency to overuse the military instrument, to pay lip service to the socioeconomic and almost ignore the political element. It is this short-sightedness of the past that perhaps saved al-Qaeda from defeat. I have two arguments to justify this statement that I've just made. Firstly, had the world recognized the Taliban after 1996, when they controlled more than 90% of Afghanistan, maybe we could have moderated them from within. Now, coming to the second missed political opportunity. The aftermath of the military success of the 9-11 response had to be capitalized with the shift and the application of the political instrument. Al-Qaeda and their abettors, the Taliban, were defeated, were militarily defeated, and they were in total disarray. Their organizational and command structure was dismantled in Afghanistan, and they ran helter-skelter into the mountains and cities of Pakistan. A truly representative national government, which gave proportional representation to all the ethnic groups, could have brought peace into Afghanistan and maybe also ousted al-Qaeda. Ladies and gentlemen, the complexity of terrorism has increased now. Their center of gravity lies in Afghanistan and the tribal agencies of Pakistan. We have to defeat them at the center of gravity. Losing here means defeat elsewhere and everywhere. In conclusion, ladies and gentlemen, may I say that we can criticize, we can disagree with the conduct, with the execution with the handling of the war on terror. But the world cannot absolve itself from its collective responsibility of fighting and defeating the war and defeating terrorism in the world. Thank you very much.
5: Against the motion, our next speaker, Sir Jeremy Greenstock. He was the UK's representative at the United Nations for five years, including during 2001, and then in 2003, he became the UK special representative in Iraq after the overthrow of Saddam Hussein, and he continues to influence thinking on foreign policy still through his writings and his work. Sir Jeremy Greenstock, your time starts. When you get to the lecture. <laughs>
7: ladies and gentlemen we have just heard a supreme military leader defending the use of military means to overcome a threat that for all its use of violence was not military indeed the threat is all the more powerful because it comes from methods of attack that aim to neutralize to the greatest extent possible the vast military superiority of the target To fine-tune the response to an attack, you have to understand what the attack was all about and who was behind it. Al-Qaeda's fundamental purpose in planning 9-11 and other attacks on American and Western interests was to create a situation in the Islamic world in which a particular, many would say a bizarre interpretation of Islam could thrive politically and religiously. Enticing the world's only superpower into a war, or a series of wars, in the Middle East was seen as the route to social and political chaos there, out of which something new could emerge with enough popular support to be sustainable. Making the United States so angry as to be prone to misjudgments, such as the doctrine of preventive war, was an essential step in this design. In the global picture, this was about more than terrorism. Washington, on a war footing, then made a mistake which played into al-Qaeda's hands. Al-Qaeda's recognition that the US might be goaded into becoming a hammer looking for a nail was proved accurate in the US decision to invade and occupy Iraq in 2003 when Iraq had nothing to do with 9-11. Now is not the time for a detailed analysis of the effects of the Iraq decision but it's my belief that the war in Iraq has complicated our capacity to deal with terrorism internationally and expanded the range of pretexts for terrorists to use violence both against the West and against fellow Muslims. In short, if the war on terror was the right response, then terrorism, after trillions of dollars of expenditure on military operations and hundreds of thousands of deaths, should be on its last legs. Too many people saw the U.S. as taking forward a war of its own conception and in its own national interests without addressing the concerns of others. The opportunity for the Americans to lead a global, collective approach to security issues was lost. The new counterterrorism of the Obama administration, it's interesting to observe, largely recognises and seeks to correct that original misconception of what counterterrorism should be all about. Strong, precise action... To deal with criminal groups has to be combined with diplomacy and partnership, is what that new strategy says. And that's quite a different approach from a war on terror. It's hard to avoid the conclusion that the United States made this change much too late. Let's show in your vote tonight that we have at least learnt that lesson. Thank you very much.
5: Mr Jeremy Greenstock, thank you very much indeed. Arguing for the motion, we now have Colleen Graffy, who was an Assistant Secretary of State in the US State Department in George W. Bush's second term. Colleen Graffy, your time starts when you get to the podium.
1: The war on terror was the right response to 9-11. The fact is, the military approach has worked. In the decade since 9-11, al-Qaeda's actions have not kept pace with their aspirations. Coordinated attacks of a global reach have fallen, and we are working so that it remains so. We learned from recently recovered documents that Osama bin Laden was lamenting from his bunker that the drone strikes were preventing training and reducing capable leadership. The fact that war was the right response to 9-11 is reinforced by the fact that the Obama administration, after great scrutiny and great deliberation, has actually continued on the same course. In fact, he's increased drone strikes. Nothing short of war was needed to get at the root causes of terrorism. And the root causes of terrorism are the Middle East dictators and tyrants who suck the air out of public discourse and prevent the development of civil society. This leaves only mosques as the place for people to vent. Unfortunately, it is also the place where people are radicalized into a perverted version of Islam, which hopes to replace one tyranny with another, their own. For 60 years, the United States' desire for stability was more important than pushing for democratic reforms in the Middle East. The war on terror led to a significant and strategic change in the U.S. foreign policy one that allowed for America's vital interests and deepest beliefs to become one. It led to the Freedom Agenda, which was committed to supporting the democratic aspirations of all people. Nothing short of war would have changed the power structures in Afghanistan and Iraq. And make no mistake, the change was a catalyst for what we see today the Arab Spring, and the crumbling of tyrants from Tunisia to Egypt, Libya, and hopefully more to come. Don't take it from me. Listen to a voice from the region. Lebanese political leader Walid Shamblat, during Lebanon's 2005 Cedar Revolution, said, It's strange for me to say it, but this progress of change has started because of the American invasion of Iraq— I was cynical about Iraq, but when I saw the Iraqi people voting three weeks ago, eight million of them, it was the start of a new Arab world. The Syrian people, the Egyptian people, all say that something is changing. The Berlin Wall has fallen. We can see it. To our Western eyes, Afghanistan and Iraq alternate between depressing and discouraging with glimmers of hope in between, but to those in the Middle East who have only lived under tyrants and thought that this was the way it was and always would be, seeing the end of Saddam Hussein was the first crack in the edifice. With the end of his regime, a man who represented the ultimate symbol of despotic rule in the region, came the prospect that other regimes, other Saddam's, may also fall. The Cold War, the War on Terror, the overseas contingency operation, the name is secondary to the nature of what each represents, a commitment to overturning tyranny and the freeing of the human spirit. The War on Terror was the right response to 9-11.
5: Thank you very much indeed, Colleen Graffy. And our final speaker in these opening statements is Dr. Bernard Kouchner, the French socialist politician. Until the end of last year, he was France's foreign minister in the government of the centre right president, Nicolas Sarkozy. During 9 11, he was serving in the French cabinet as health minister. Dr. Kushner, please return.
3: So, the war on terror, was it the right answer to 9-11? Honestly, this is difficult to say yes or no, completely separate. Yes, it was imperative to react to 9-11. By war, are you asking for an ethical, a military, or a political judgment? Let me be blunt. Ethically... It was imperative for the U.S. to react. Politically, the way the Bush administration did has not been a complete success. Ten years after, what was the real goals? To defeat Ben Laden and Al-Qaeda? Now is dead. His organization may be weakened, but it survived and some say proliferates in Africa. I remember the horrified moment of 9-11. We, our American friends and their allies, we had to respond and to fight back, but not only by force. And I'm not so far, President Musharraf said. It should have been also a war against poverty Poverty is the main word in Afghanistan, and also in Pakistan. In chasing bin Laden, Western leaders discovered a reality that only those remembering the Soviet war knew. Afghanistan is a patchwork of tribes, starting with the Pashtun, more or less close to the Taliban, and more or less linked to bin Laden. The Pashtun lives on both sides of two countries. There are no borders between Afghanistan and Pakistan. The Pashtun move freely. So should we have to make war on Pakistan? Impossible. Two good reasons. The Pakistanis are supposed to be our allies and they have atomic weapons. There is only one certainty... The U.S. and its allies cannot win this war militarily. Our public opinion will not tolerate for long to see coffins coming back home for no clear purpose. And there is also one fact. Ben Laden is dead, and he was killed in Pakistan. We must absolutely, and Jeremy was very good on that, make the distinction in between the so called war on terror and the war in Iraq. Was Saddam a respectable leader? Certainly not. He was a dictator and the butcher of his own people. In february two thousand three I wrote an article in Le Monde it was a big noise in France No to Saddam, no to the war. So the real issues, in conclusion, today, 10 years after 9-11, are the people of Afghanistan and the people of Iraq any better off? Yes, in a way. Schools, education, hospital, roads, etc. We looked at the wrong generation. I believe, and this is part of the answer, resides in the hopes of the Arab Spring and the young Arab leaders. Thank you very much.
5: Thank you very much. So, you've heard from our speakers, it's now the turn of the audience. But before we take questions and comments from you, let me just tell you, how you all voted as you were coming into the um to Kiduggan Hall today. So, our motion, the war on terror, was the right response to 9 11. This is how you voted for the motion 179, against the motion that's your side 323. <clears throat> don't be too quick because the don't knows are 200. So, panel. There's a great deal you can do. Your side, you can try your best. You can try your best to win over those
4: 200s who don't know. This Intelligence Squad podcast is supported by Audible.com. For a free audiobook of your choice, go to audiblepodcast.com forward slash debate. So, uh, let's go there, yep.
3: After 9-11, there was an outpouring of goodwill towards the United States. I want to suggest to you that That outpouring of sympathy was wasted. What would have been much better in order to get so many of the Arab countries on side for any kind of war on terror was a resolution to the Israeli Palestinian conflict. Without that, no Arab country could possibly have joined in a war on terror because of the bitterness and resentment caused by the plight to the Palestinians.
5: Thank you. We'll come to it in a moment. One more, and then... Yep.
4: Um, I was wondering, particularly to Mr Musharraf, but to all the panellists, what your opinion was on the, the Obama administration's drone attacks in Pakistan, which have increased quite a lot recently, and whether you condone them. OK, one more.
3: My question to Dr Byrne. Your government yeah. banned a burqa in French, yeah? Yeah. That act supporting a terrorism... 100%, yeah, while you intervene in the personal behaviour of Muslims. So what do you think? Is Western not supporting terrorism by putting that kind of sanctions?
5: So your question is, the French have banned the wearing of the, yeah, the veil.
3: Hijab. Yeah. So what? by doing these kind of things, is not that kind of act promoting a terrorism in the East?
5: Right. OK, well, Dr Kushner, you can make that connection. <laughs>
3: Extremism must be defeated. To compare extremism in the Middle East, in between Palestinians and Israelis, and in the Middle East generally speaking, was not right. And at the beginning of bin Laden terrorism, it was not a question of that. But if you want me to say, and we will be all in agreement, that we must set up a real peace, that is to say to recognise the Palestinian state, etc. Yes, we have to, and we try. But honestly, it's very far from the reality of Pakistan, Afghanistan and the rest. Okay. That is not okay. to say that if we can... please,
5: Just finish on the Palestinian issue, because yes. I'd like if to
3: go... We, this is a, an emergency, but it's an emergency in years and years, and we all try to do so and we'll succeed. Okay. But, well... It was not the reason, and it is not an explanation. All right, but Colleen Graffi,
5: um, this was a point that was raised a great deal, and the terrorists in their messages and so on bring up this issue of the Palestinian question. Bush administration didn't really address that well, properly. The,
1: the problem with that argument is that if that were really the case, why didn't Osama bin Laden pause all of the planning for 9-11 when Clinton was on the brink of trying to make a breakthrough with Arafat? That wasn't the point of 9-11. That wasn't what they were gearing through. The the whole Middle East crisis is a red herring to drive attention away from the dictators and tyrants across the Middle East.
5: Sir Jeremy, do you agree
7: with that? There's no doubt that the United States lost an opportunity to get global sympathy. There's no doubt that al-Qaeda had very little to do with the Palestinian issue, but that misses the point that the... General support out there for doing things that are violent against the West is fed by the stagnation of the Palestinian issue, even if al-Qaeda did not uh, rely on that for its own influence. The fact that it's still out there uh, getting worse does nothing for our... Counter-terrorism campaign.
1: One thing that was mentioned by both of um, the opposition, and that was this connection between 9/11 and Iraq. There was no connection between 9 and 11 and Iraq, and the Bush administration never made that case. They said specific. <laughs> okay, read, ladies, ladies and gentlemen, read. Anything on what the Bush administration has written, anything, and you will see that they said, What is the connection after 9 11? It's Al Qaeda and it's Afghanistan. Does it have any connection in Iraq? No, it doesn't. So therefore, do we do both together? No, because it's only about Al Qaeda and Afghanistan. After that happened, after that, that's when Bush looked around and said, All right, We have a rogue country, as Jeremy Greenstock has said, that has been in violation of 16 UN resolutions under Chapter 7, which means use force if necessary. And the conclusion was, do you let someone who we know has been a threat, not to the America but to to the world, do you let that stand after 9-11? So the administration never made the connection that it was that. It was a separate threat. Since
5: you've brought that up, let's just go to the audience. On that specific question of... September the 11th and um, no connection between those attacks and Iraq. Who wants to address that point specifically that Colin Graffy has just raised?
7: There. And Professor Graffy is simply right. There was no connection between the terrorists of 9-11 and Iraq. But there was a connection between the issue of terrorism and Iraq in this sense. Uh, Dr. Kushner, of whom I'm a great admirer, is mistaken in counterposing the war on terror to a war on poverty and illiteracy because the terrorists of 9-11 were not poor and they were not from a poor region. The variable most closely connected with terrorism is a lack of political openness whereby dissent
2: migrates to the mosque and radicalism is incubated. Right. That okay. was the connection between Iraq and 9/11.
5: So there was a terror threat from Iraq, but not linked to 9-11? Oh.
4: Does somebody else want to...? Yeah. My question is for uh, Professor Graffy. Um, you mentioned the drone attacks um, were successful in stopping training camps, but you failed to mention how many civilian lives have been lost as a result of those drone attacks? Are we meant to just look the other way and pretend like Pakistani lives aren't valuable? Okay,
5: well, we'll link that question to the other one earlier on about the... Why don't we ask you, the drone attacks on Pakistan and your view on that, um, General Musharraf and then Colin Gravy.
6: Certainly, it goes. it is not in Pakistan's interest. And drone attacks are, as this young lady has said, they are causing collateral damage. Therefore, there is a great public outcry against the drone attacks. And also, may I say, there is a public outcry because it violates the sovereignty of Pakistan. However, we, I do not say that we should not attack the terrorists. Whenever a target is identified, we need to adopt measures to attack that target, those militants, through means which will avoid collateral damage and ensure the sovereignty of Pakistan.
1: The fact is, is that any loss of life is, of course, horrible. But the drone attacks are a technology that allows the most exact and precise targeting that we've ever known in history. And so if you're looking at the various means of military use, the drones are going to have the least effect on the civilian population of anything else.
5: Okay, let's take some more questions. and Remember what the motion is up there.
4: To uh, Mr Greenstock, Mr Kushner, Bernard. Policing was the policy of most Western governments up to 9-11. It failed miserably. I'd like to hear what you have to say about that.
5: Okay. Oh, well, yeah.
4: We haven't discussed the actual reason that Al-Qaeda gave for attacking, which was the presence of U.S. troops in the Holy Land, in Saudi Arabia. And in order to respond to being attacked by that, they could either have left, as they did from Lebanon in 1986, fearing more terror... Or they could have stayed, and I I think it's fairly clear that the Saudi kingdom would have been greatly endangered. Or they could leave in victory and not have to protect Saudi from Saddam anymore. Uh, I'm curious what the advocates of law enforcement would claim was the non violent way of uh, making the troops in uh, Saudi redundant.
5: Well, the Americans did withdraw their uh, base from Saudi Arabia, didn't they? Yeah, they announced... because they invaded they announced... Iraq. Yeah, they... OK, we'll put that question to the um, panel. Let's take some. Go ahead. I wish to ask uh,
0: Pervez Musharraf. Do you think Osama bin Laden came back to Pakistan after you were removed, deposed? And prior to when you were still in government in Pakistan, do you think Osama bin Laden was in Yemen where there is his family come from, and there's a very strong Islamic
5: following. Okay, one there, and then we'll go to the panel.
3: My question, actually, is to Professor Graffi. You said that military dictators were one of the sort of root causes of terrorism, that they sucked the air out of the democratic process, and that in many ways to depose them, you needed direct Western intervention and kind of boots on the ground. I wonder, would you reconsider that statement following the aftermath of events in Libya, where, despite, you know, NATO air cover... The fight has mainly been waged by the Libyan people. There have been no direct Western intervention in terms of troops. And a dictator has been successfully overthrown with a period of relative order, unlike in Iraq, where there were hundreds of thousands of troops. And there, there seemed to be eternal chaos after it, or at All least right. in the first several years.
5: Okay, very briefly then, first of all, Colleen Graffi. I mean, just would Saddam Hussein have gone in the Arab Spring, do you think, with all the uh, others? I just want to say thank you very much for that
1: question. I think you misunderstood what I said. My point was that Iraq and Afghanistan were the catalyst for these other countries, that with the fall of Saddam Hussein, it allowed these other countries to see a different vision of what the Middle East could be like. And so, therefore, I entirely agree with you. All of these things should be homegrown, and we need to work so hard now on developing civil society rule of law and good Are governance. Are you saying
5: the Arab Spring would not have happened unless Iraq and Afghanistan were invaded? I'm saying that Iraq was the catalyst. As
1: I read from Walid jumblad this was something well, that had never seen before. So, you're
5: extrapolating from what Waleed Jamblod said. You
3: Sorry, know Waleed. where is Waleed Jamblod yes. No, yes. He's close to Saddam he goes to Bashar al Assad.
5: Should you say who Ali Jumblat is, of course? is the Le- veteran Druze leader in Le- Lebanon, Lebanon, been there yes, for the a long Druze time. Leader. He yes. changed
3: so, several times Came okay. and now he's uh, Syria. So the Camps. answer so, is no. But, uh, okay. Yeah.
5: Okay. but are you saying, and it interesting to hear what the panel are you saying then quite clearly way. that without Iraq and Afghanistan, being invaded and Saddam Hussein and the Taliban going, that we would not have seen the Arab Spring and bin Ali leaving. I, and I so said quite clearly that Iraq and Afghanistan were the catalyst for what we're seeing today. The catalyst. Yes. Do you agree with that? President Trump, they were the catalyst, Iraq and Afghanistan for the Arab well, Spring.
6: I am the uh, partner to Colleen, so I would not like to disagree.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I believe that's a yes.
6: What about you, gentlemen? You you are putting me in uh, in a very difficult situation, Uh, I must
7: say.
5: Well, we can work out what your answer is on that
7: then. Sir Jeremy. One sentence on the Arab Spring. The Arab Spring was a spontaneous reaction by people empowered by the availability of information, knowing what was going on in the rest of the world, against their government stealing freedom and national wealth from them. It is all about that.
5: It was crucial um, on this particular point. The catalyst, which took eight years, though, didn't it, from 2003 to... But anyway, yes, and that's, and uh, the, 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 well, the, the catalyst of Iraq wrong. Afghanistan. The revolution was
1: 2005. It's Palestinian true, was before that. I mean, it's, it's in steps and progress. It doesn't happen overnight. Look at the Berlin Wall.
5: Bernard Kushner, on this point about Afghanistan, the war on terror and the invasion of Iraq and Afghanistan was the catalyst for seeing the Arab Spring and these dictators falling. No, but
3: I completely agree with what Jeremy said. This is a fantastic movement, Arab Spring. Spontaneous in a way that we were waiting for Muslim brothers or extremists, etc. And the people, all the people, what we call the civil society, rejected their dictator. And don't, let's say, mix all the countries. Tunisia was not Egypt, was not Libya, etc. And we don't have but, time but, to but make. Did, it.
5: But the specific point is people said Saddam Hussein has gone from power, and that, in a way, encourages us to
3: also I seek don't democracy. I think so. You don't Look think at so. what's right. happening now in Iraq. Okay. Look, yeah. this is not a, a miracle. Oh, at you've decided. All. You've... But what... Saddam Hussein was a dictator, he was a killer. And now there is a, a president of Iraq with a Kurd. This is a good success. The Shiite, the majority yes. of the people, are in power against the minority, the Sunnis. This is another success. But right. it will take time. And okay. for the time being, democracy, a sort of democracy, not okay. the, the, the British or the Swedish or the French democracy. It, step by step, it will be right, done. Yeah. But it has not started anything. Okay.
5: okay. Don't remember You've that. You made
3: that point. Her face, no, no, Okay. Her Yeah. We are about
7: yeah, yeah but I just, about General Iran.
5: Musharraf has decided. General Musharraf has decided to comment on this specific question. No, then.
6: I, I was trying to answer another point oh. of view. This, I, <laughs> I, I don't find it very logical to link Afghanistan or what we did in Afghanistan in response to 9/11 with Iraq. Here was a situation in Afghanistan was that Al Qaeda, which who we equate with terrorism, carried out the 9-11 attack but and it was many part people of the war around on the world. Terror.
5: And you're for the motion that the war on terror was the right oh, yeah. response. <laughs> Iraq was also a terror threat, you said, and therefore it was a legitimate target in the war on terror. That's what you said. So just very quickly, General Musharraf, was Iraq part of the war on terror? Should it have been?
6: Well I I personally was certainly against the war in Iraq, okay. but I am not linking it with attack on terror, really. Okay,
5: all right, that made it clear. We had that question, Sir Jeremy Greenstock, on the policing of um, crimes and uh, of terrorism, and the policy had failed.
7: Well, it was, well that, 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 that question has said policing failed, failed miserably. That's right, yeah. And things were missed before 9-11, uh, both internationally and in, in the United States. But I think uh, this panel must make the point that over the last 10 years, and particularly in the last few years, our police, our agencies in the United States, the UK and elsewhere, have done an absolutely fantastic job in protecting us against repetitions of 7-7 and other terrorist attacks earlier in the decade. Let's give the police and the agencies the real credit that they deserve for protecting our
6: Just
5: very quickly, anybody want to? Yeah, um,
1: I, I have a, a comment about the um, the bases in Saudi Arabia. Yeah. I just want to remind that why were the U.S. bases in Saudi Arabia to protect the Kurds in the north and the Shia in the south in Iraq and the no-fly zones? And so there we were trying to assist and. This is turned against the United States as being in the land of uh, Saudi Arabia. So right. just a reminder that that's why we were there. And um, the idea that we should be attacked on 9-11 because we're in Saudi Arabia when we're there to protect the people in Iraq is a nonsense.
5: And General Musharraf, did Osama bin Laden, who of course was killed by the U.S. Navy SEALs in May in Abbottabad, in Pakistan, did he go to Pakistan after you left office?
6: well i can't i can't be sure i wasn't tracking him certainly but uh, he was there in aptabad as far as i'm concerned whenever anyone asks me where he is I always said, I don't know. He could be anywhere. You used
5: to say he's not in Pakistan. He's probably no. more likely on the Pakistan-Afghan border inside Afghanistan. When somebody
6: insisted that he's in Pakistan, then I used to say, what is the information? Where did you get this information from? He, he could be anywhere. He could be in Afghanistan or even outside Afghanistan. So that was what Were I used to say. Were you
5: surprised when he was yes, found indeed. in Abbottabad?
6: Yes, indeed. Absolutely. I was shocked that he was in Abbottabad.
5: I mean, living quite openly in a city just a few miles from an no, no, intelligence. No, no, not very openly.
6: Not very openly. locked it was locked a big a house, room,
5: wasn't think. it, in an urban area. <laughs> it wasn't no, no. a remote farm.
6: Sorry? It,
5: he wasn't living in a remote farm. It was quite a big townhouse he was living in, quite conspicuous.
6: The best place, the safest place, is in a thickly populated place. This is a town all tourists into the mountains of Pakistan go through Abbottabad. A population of 600,000 people and there are civilians and military people all mixed and stay
3: together. But President, at least you better recognize that he was benefiting, I mean, Bin Laden of some complicity. This is impossible to believe that he was isolated, close to the barracks and close to the army and etc. So, I understand your answer, but honestly... <laughs> yeah. I think... I, I
6: certainly, I, I certainly would like to react to this. I mean, after all, slippages or poor performance by the intelligence are possible. If you reflect back to 9 /11, how is it that 18 people were being trained for months and CIA was asleep? The most powerful organization? How was it How was it, how was it that four aircraft, four airliners are being hijacked from four different airfields? and a CIA doesn't know, how is it that through three of them going to the World Trade Center and the Pentagon? CIA is asleep. So let us allow ASI to have been sleeping You're once going. at least. <laughs> I'm going to go back to the floor. So let's go
5: up there, please, quickly. Uh, my
1: name is Khalil Osman. I'm a sixth-form student. Um, I've got a question for Colin Graffy, who was talking about uh, the origins of terror uh, due to Arab dictators. Do you think that's a fair assumption, based on the fact that your government Propped up these dictators, uh, Mubarak, billions of dollars, second only to Israel, um, which imposes tyranny on the Palestinians. And let's not forget, Saddam Hussein was an American client whilst he was fighting your war against Iran.
5: Okay, all right. Remember the motion, everybody. Okay. As you make your points, admirably short, but remember the motion, yes?
2: I just want to bring it back to the motion. I've got a question for the for panel and a question for the against panel. For the for panel, and please give a direct answer to this. Uh, I don't think... Let's separate the name War on Terror from the substance of what actually happened. I don't think we can divorce the symbolisms or the abysmal failures of the decade. Do you support, number one, extraordinary rendition to torture as part of this War on Terror? Do you support, number two, detention without charge in the case of Guantanamo for over 10 years? And do you support, number three, uh, invasion and occupation of countries without authorization from the UN? For the against panel... Against panel, uh, I personally, and, and Quilliam, the line we push is we don't see a polarization between uh, necessarily between military action on the one hand and law and order on the other. There's a middle way. We think there's a third way, and that's to empower civil society, um, as demonstrated by the Arab Spring. So, would you please elaborate on what could have been done to in that third way to empower civil society, rather rather than take uh, military action? Thank you.
5: Okay. Thank you. That's the quickest four questions I've heard in about a minute, ten seconds. So, um, let's just pick up then, panel. The point made by the representative from the Quilliam Foundation, which I think was mostly to your side, um, Mr Musharraf and Colleen Graffley, which was, when you support the war on terror, do you support detention without charge? Do you support rendition and the invasion of countries um, without proper UN authorization?
1: Um, Well, the question had several different parts. The first is um, torture, no. uh, That is not allowed. The international community has torture convention. But every country is going to, as Britain has done, is going to find ways of interrogation that come pretty close. And in the United States, the view was that the actions taken in waterboarding were not torture. Now, you can disagree with that. Well, a lot of people did. I mean, it's yeah. what you it's described and, as enhanced
5: interrogation and procedures. And they stopped that,
1: and they considered that it was wrong to do. Okay? The other with detention, every country is dealing with the difficulty, the tensions between protecting societies and... Um, Protecting civil rights. So the UK is in the same situation. Control orders, how long do you hold people? France has a similar situation. Okay,
5: and so Jeremy, the question to your side from the Quilliam Foundation was, what what do you do to empower civil society? What's the alternative to the war on terror? How would you have done it?
7: Well, civil society uh, is actually doing more than governments, in my view, at the moment uh, to make the developing world a better place, village by village, town by town, region by region. They don't need to be told what to do by governments. They don't need to be empowered in what they have the will to to achieve in the less advantaged areas of the world. But they do need to work with the governments of the developing world to be allowed access to the people who need their help. And when you get that kind of partnership between what the West in its donor mode can give and what the developing world can absorb and receive and act on, you are getting a partnership that does far more to deal with security issues than the direct use of military force. That's what we're trying to say.
5: Thank you very much for that, Sir Jeremy Greenstone. I've got the result now of the uh, vote after the... um Debate and it's very interesting. All right, let me, first of all, remind you how you voted audience before the uh, debate started. For the motion, the war on terror was the right response to 9-11, 179 for, 323 against. There were 200 of you who didn't know. So after the debate, this is how you voted. For the motion, the war on terror was the right response. 276, so you did gain some. Against, however... 402 and the don't Knows went down to 46 so congratulations to the winners thank Commiserations. But, so thank you very much indeed panel thank you audience here at cadogan hall in central london and you at home wherever you are for watching and you can get a free briefing if you want to by going to the website www.intelligencesquared.com and just follow the instructions there but for me Zainab Badawi from this Intelligence Square debate marking this important um, occasion of the 10th anniversary of the September the 11th attacks thank you very much, goodbye
4: Thank you for listening You can download more Intelligence Squared podcasts free on iTunes and SoundCloud. If you'd like to find out more about our events, sign up to our newsletter at intelligencesquared.com and
0: follow us on Facebook and Twitter. What are you doing right now? Perhaps you're in the supermarket. Maybe you're on a run or on the commute. But wherever you are in the world, and whatever you're doing...